0: Right, everyone, welcome to the Healing Art of Being You podcast. We are so excited today to have Erin Pritchard with us from Seaglass Counseling and Consultation. Um, she is a wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to all things that women deal with, with intimacy, sex therapy, some Christian-based sex therapy, as well as Purity Culture Recovery and EMDR. So we have a very exciting conversation to get to today for you. Erin, go ahead and take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into this journey.
1: Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. I'm excited to talk with you guys too. Um, So, gosh, this is technically a second career for me. I specifically went back to be a trauma counselor. So, that's kind of where my heart was um, initially. And um, yeah, I went back to school, became a trauma therapist. Very early on in my therapy career, I was introduced to EMDR therapy and um, really had the privilege of getting trained by a lot of great EMDR therapists and kind of learning that really early on as a trauma therapist, which I think was super helpful um, for lots of pieces. And kind of later on, I started to realize, you know, there's a lot of research coming out about purity culture, having an impact of trauma. So that really kind of spurred a shift in my career, I guess, to focusing also on sex therapy. And that was really a kind of a merging of my worlds. Personally, I'm a Christian and you know, professionally, I've been a trauma therapist for almost a decade at this point. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is like all the merging of all my worlds that I care about and all the things that are important to me
0: amazing.
1: That's awesome.
2: We have so many fun things to get to. So really (laughs) briefly, do you mind sharing like, what is EMDR? Like, what does that stand for? How is that clinically used? And why is that different or more impactful than just traditional talk therapy?
1: Yes. Okay. I'm going to try to remember each, each one of those points. So (laughs) the big mouthful EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Um, it's an eight-phase protocol where we get to essentially work with a different part of the brain than in traditional talk therapy. So when you're just kind of talking with someone, you're using your prefrontal cortex and, like, the very front part of your brain. And with the MDR, we get to use kind of your mid part of your brain, your limbic system, and the part that's housing your emotions. Um, we use bilateral stimulation, which is just movement across the body. It's something that your brain is paying attention to, and that kind of helps your brain recategorize memories, if you will. So it kind of has the effect of neutralizing stuff that usually when we would think about something distressing, it kind of brings up this very physiological body response and being able to look back at something, you know, terrible or distressing and not have that big body response with it really provides a sense of freedom and hope and it's empowering people. So it's pretty different than talk therapy. You don't have to talk a whole lot, Joyce throws people off. I'm always like, don't tell me too much about it because it's my job to keep your brain in a space where it can reprocess. And if you're telling me too much, it can't really do that. So um, that is a little bit about, about EMDR and what it stands for and kind of how we use it. I'm going to be honest, I forgot the other questions you wanted to know related to that. (laughs) I think you
2: covered most of it. Quite frankly, I don't actually remember my third one. It kind of all came out so fast. Um, Do you mind sharing like what might be when you're talking about stimulation side to side? What does that actually Mm -hmm. look like?
1: Yeah, so um, there's lots of different options for that. The traditional research was done with eye movements, hence like the EM and the EMDR. So people might um, watch their therapist's hand move back and forth or they might watch a light bar There's something that they're going to be kind of shifting side to side with their eye movements. Sometimes we also do an auditory bilateral stimulation. So either with headphones or just, there doesn't have to be headphones, but listening to sound kind of bouncing back and forth. Um, or we have tapping, lots of different like tactile ways. So either Holding buzzers and they kind of vibrate at different alternating sides. Um, or some people, if they're remote, they don't do buzzers, they do like self tapping. So there's lots of different options that we can do that. Gotcha. And like, what does cool. the
2: course of action look like over time? Is this something that is done like every single time you see somebody over and over and over for months and months? Or is this something mm-hmm. that's like a really short, like one or two times type of thing? What does that look like?
1: That's such a good question and super hard to answer. <laughs>
2: Every, so everybody's
1: different, which is the best and the worst answer. So, And it kind of depends what they what they need to focus on. So if it's something that is more isolated, more time-constrained, like a one-time incident, maybe a car accident or something that's very defined, you know, there's a start and a stop to it, that's going to move through much quicker than something that's more prolonged or repeated like parity culture trauma or you know some other sort of relational trauma or you know something that was endured for a longer period of time. So um, EMDR is not just kind of the movement back and forth with the eyes. It's also kind of a framework for doing therapy. So we are still you know doing EMDR even if we're in some of the preparatory stages where we're kind of gearing up to reprocess something specific and um, so it's, it's kind of a whole way of doing therapy, not just limited to the use of the bilateral pieces with
2: And is this something that you're specially trained in or that if somebody wanted to be like, if they thought like, you know what, I've done traditional therapy before, there was no EMDR done with it. I feel like I'm still kind of struggling with the same issue. I'm mm-hmm. open to this or I'm interested in this. Is this something that people need to find a specifically trained person or is this like anybody can do it?
1: No, not everybody should do it. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, there's lots of extra training um, and there's different levels of training as well. So um, the, it, ha- it has to be a licensed mental health professional who uh, gets extra training and it's a pretty rigorous process. Um, so you can have the first level is someone who's an EMDR trained therapist. That means they've completed you know, a significant number of hours of lecture and practicum and had some consultation in that. Um, I'm a... I'm a certified EMDR therapist, which means I've exceeded that and gotten additional training, additional um, clinical experience. I had to meet a certain number of you know, clients that I've done, a number of sessions, and even more supervision and feedback from the experts on how am I doing it. Um, and I'm also an approved consultant, so I help other EMDR therapists get really good at meeting EMDR therapists. So there is different levels, um, and it is really important to find someone who's at least trained um, at minimum. How do
2: people find those types of people? Is that like, you have to like go door, like you have to go website to website and ask, or is this like, is there like a directory? Like how would somebody find somebody for that?
1: Both, yeah. So there is a directory, um, MDREA, which is the EMDR International Association. org has a directory of EMDR therapists. Um, so you can find someone who's on that directory, or if you're using another another therapist search directory, sometimes you can filter, like, the types of therapy, and you can select EMDR. So those are some chat. Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: Well, I hope that that kind of gives everybody a little bit of a quick view as to, like, what is EMDR? So when you hear us mentioning it in the rest of the episode today, you kind of have an idea and you can get a visual of, like, what is going on now to the meat and potatoes of what I have been waiting for for so long with this conversation is talk to us a little bit. This is such a big question. I'm going to try and make it more focused for you. Okay. Talk to it at its most basic level of like, what is purity culture? When people hear purity culture in a clinical setting, what is it that Mm -hmm. we are
1: talking about? Yeah, it's a good question. So we're talking about I don't know if movement is kind of the right word, but I think culture really fits, but like a time period, kind of 70s through 90s, it's still around today. It has little sneakier forms, but usually kind of we're, in our, we're interacting with people who grew up with it in the 80s, 90s. Um, it was an evangelical movement to abstain from sex. And a lot of religions and cultures have that as a value. That's fine. I think the problem with the purity culture specifically is that that act or that choice of refraining was tied with, you know, your spiritual worth, your value as a woman, as a person, it was really tied with the salvation piece, um, which isn't correct <laughs> theologically um, or helpful to people practically. So culture would be kind of, there was a whole bunch of pieces. There's a lot of books. People a lot of times kind of read um, book true love weights. Um, or there's, you know, there's conferences people had. There's all sorts of pieces. There was balls. There was rings. There's ceremonies. So it kind of depends on who you speak with, kind of the extent of how entrenched in that they were. Um, but it took a lot of different Forms, and it, you know, really elevated your sexual activity or lack of or whatever with your salvation.
2: Yeah. How do you see that showing up in your clients?
1: Yes. Um, well, many ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gosh. I see that showing up. In a, in a number of in a number of ways, you see that with um, women who don't feel safe in their bodies, or comfortable having sex, being intimate with their partner, um, or or feel the freedom to say no, like no, thanks, I'm not into this tonight. They don't feel the freedom to give actual consent. They don't know what consent is. Um, I think statistically evangelical and Christian women are more likely to be diagnosed with vaginismus. So, you know, there's a lot of instances of people trying or having sex, but it's super painful, super uncomfortable. Parts of it might not be possible. And then there's a lot of self-judgment, negative talk. Um, There's also some research on purity culture kind of really aligning with rape culture. So a lot of pieces where there's a lack of accountability or an over-responsibility placed on women or the survivor. So there's just, gosh, so many ways that it shows up. There's research linking it to eating disorder presentations, which isn't my specialty to kind of go into, but certainly has an impact on body image, how you're viewing yourself, your comfort in your body, um, your relationships with other people. Your spiritual life, your view of God, other people, you know, your salvation. It just really, there's a lot of big things that this kind of shows up and looks like.
2: Yeah. I would say that I, I see very similar things in my practice. Mm-hmm. So like as a pelvic PT, whose primary specialty is our chronic pain and pregnancy, postpartum, mm-hmm. I would say the majority of people that I see, especially younger women who are experiencing pelvic pain are more often than not Christian and waited until marriage because of their Christian values, not mm-hmm. so much their personal values, but because of their concern with what it meant for them to be intimate before they got married. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is so, um, It's just very interesting to see how uncomfortable they are in their own body. If you ask them if they've ever looked at their vulva before, that's an absolute no. Mm. Have they ever, like, has this always been painful? Well, I don't know. I never Mm. tried until we tried to have sex on our wedding night, you know, like Many times they haven't had a pelvic exam before, Mm -hmm. you know, and so then they try to have sex and it is super painful. So then they finally go see the gynecologist and they have Mm -hmm. no idea. And then you start peeling back the layers of like, how about, um, you know, menstrual products? Do you use internal menstrual products? Well, I tried a tampon one time. It was so painful. So I only use pads. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. so this pain was not something that just started When you got married and tried to have sex, this pain has been present for many, many years Mm -hmm. because there's so much shame, discomfort, fear um, around the pelvis and what it means that there's been no exploration beforehand because all of that was considered evil. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
2: it's like this, don't look at it, don't touch it, don't let anybody else do it or else you're going to hell now put on a white dress now go procreate it's like wait 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 what are we what is happening here like in the course of an hour-long ceremony I'm now supposed to just magically be able to Mm -hmm. be completely comfortable with this after years of conditioning that this is a bad dirty evil part of my body like it is insane Mm -hmm. and then you add to it the societal expectations that women have as their role in the relationship that they're supposed to be an orifice through which their partner sticks their penis basically Mm -hmm. and that they just need to lay back and take it and also you Mm -hmm. shouldn't have pleasure in this because that means you're slutty but also you should also be available for your husband to do this so don't make him feel like you don't want to right but Mm -hmm. don't have too much oh yeah And it's like, what is this messaging? This is insane. And so then if we even take people out of the purity culture and we move them into people who haven't had that type of conditioning before, and you look up, um, you know, what is Emily Nagoski wrote, come as you are, I think, right? Mm -hmm. And her stuff on the whole brakes and the accelerators, even outside of the purity culture, you get up in your head and now all the brakes are on, right? Mm -hmm. You add back in that purity culture where it's like all of this All of these different messaging systems, plus, oh, I'm probably going to go to hell if I like this too much. Like, Mm -hmm. how in the world are we supposed to have any sort of self-lubricating happening? Not going to happen. You're Mm -hmm. not going to be turned on. Your muscles are super overactive because your nervous system is saying, protect, protect, protect. No entry shall occur. Mm -hmm. And it's like, of course, this is a miserable experience, you know? And so I see very similar things on Mm -hmm. my side where I just like, you just want to hug them and be like, listen...
1: This yeah. is okay. We're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of, it's confusing messages. It's mixed mm-hmm. messages. And it's so damaging. Mm-hmm. You know, I people really expect like a switch to flip. Um, that's just not true. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not true. That's not real. If that happens to happen for you, cool. But that's not the norm. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, people expect or it doesn't happen that way. And it's just... Impossible things to live up to. Yeah.
2: So you had mentioned that like theologically that's not actually the truth. Can yeah.
1: you
2: talk do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about like what was the intended relationship supposed to look like versus what was the perverse prostituted version of the relationship now that we are expected sure. to follow?
1: Yeah, I can talk about that a little bit. Um I think it's really worth kind of mentioning you know even though the bible is written and it's it is patriarchal it is heteronormative like that was also part of the culture at the time and there's a difference between like the culture and like the god of the bible so i think theologically god is inherently sex positive I think it's pretty cool that he created women, not men, but women with the only organ whose full function is just pleasure. We have a clitoris. Men don't have an organ that's just for pleasure. And we're created in God's image. So we are created for pleasure. That's something we are designed to experience. All of our other senses can take in and experience pleasure. Um, so, all these, there's lots of pieces to this, but I think, you know there is a big difference between who is God and what have people people put into that or said that he is, that isn't really him or of him. Um, The idea that sex was a necessary evil for procreation was introduced by St. Augustine. That's not God. A saint, Cool. Sure. Not God. Um, So we have to really kind of look at like, what are people saying and, and interjecting into this versus what is actually there. Um, but I think like sex was designed to be intimate and mutual and pleasurable. And, and that's um, the word it's escaping my brain. I get so excited and also nervous to talk about these things The it was, it's, you know, designed to be kind of like a model of like the type of closeness and intimate relationship and knowing that God wants to have with us. he, created us. He loves us. He knows us. Um, It's just so incredibly beautiful and intimate. So it was designed to be that. Not a lot of other things that people have, you know, taken it to mean or twisted those things. Um, So I think like that's some of the pieces. It was intended for, I've heard someone use the phrase procreation, partnership, and pleasure. I, I tend to say mutual and intimate and pleasurable for both and that's borrowed from Sheila Gregor, who wrote and did some research about this. But um, I think that there's a lot that we kind of get wrong or have heard wrong. So I'd say some of the, some of those are some of like the theological pieces to probably re-examine. Yeah, it's not it's not just for not just for babies. It was designed to be pleasurable for both people. That is part of it. Right. Yeah. You know, what's
2: so funny is like working in and around the pelvis, obviously anatomically, I'm very well versed in all that. But from a mm-hmm. theological standpoint, I had never actually considered the fact that like, we are the ones who have yeah. a sex pleasure organ that yeah. has no other function. Like it hadn't even occurred to me. Yes.
1: yeah.
2: That's a really cool. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And we don't have to deep dive into this, but like, if we look at what does that mean about God? means he's pro-pleasure. And he's pro-pleasure for women, which a lot of people, there's a lot of verses that will get like twisted or people will really misuse verses. Um, I've seen that a lot. And so women feel like a real sense of obligation to have sex, but it was not meant in that way. Do you have any examples? Because I definitely don't mind deep dives. Oh yeah. (laughs) Give me,
2: give me like your your like one that you hear the most, the one that you're like whenever you hear it, it's like cringeworthy. You're like that is not what was supposed to be meant there.
1: Yeah. Uh, I just have to pick one for that.
2: No, no, pick as many
1: as you want. (laughs) As many as you want. (laughs) As many as you want. Give them all. I mean, so one that I think gets twisted a lot is like this idea of like um submitting to your spouse or not depriving a spouse and usually that that gets twisted and taken out of context people people will just kind of harp on like you know wives do not deprive your husbands it goes on to say husbands love your wives like it we're cutting out half of the thing so um that's a big one that really gets misused and twisted i've seen that and it's just so sad i've seen that you know in marriages with christian couples sometimes um honestly it's sad too i think that this is really degrading to men as well and we don't think about that because men get kind of degraded to animals and have like this sense of entitlement and that degrades them from being like a thinking whole person you know feeling person yeah yeah so i think like that's that's a big one um this idea of don't deprive your husband or, you know, verses about women submit, get taken out of context all the time. Some of those were specifically talking about like a specific church and an unruly group of women in that particular church who are disrupting the teaching. (laughs) Like if you had that in any other context, you'd be like, get these ladies out. They're loud. Like I can't hear if they're saying distracting things, you know? So it's not like women in general, aren't supposed to do these things. It's, you have to go and kind of look at the context too. Um, goodness, there's way more, but those are those are a couple that are popping into my mind.
2: <laughs> I really I love appreciate it. that. I think it's I think it's so important to like like to break down these things that are just like regurgitated over and over and over again. It's like, but well, who said that though? You know, what was the whole context? You yeah. know, and it's like I. I, it's not my business to get into it with any of my patients that come in. Like I tell them that like my own personal beliefs, anything like that, that stops at the door. When I'm in here, I'm a blank slate. I hold space for mm-hmm. whatever you wanna do. If you are having a you know, polyamorous relationship in a sex dungeon with multiple different people, by all means, you do you if At a girl if you're having pain with that. Let me help you not have pain with that. Right. Amen. And if yes. you're somebody who is in a long-term sexless relationship because you're fearful of it, that's your business too. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not my business to put any judgment on any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like what you said about it. Kind of like drops men down a bit, and it kind of yeah. simplifies them into these like sex-driven only like singular-focused beings yeah. that have no other value to add other than having sex with their partner mm-hmm. and procreating and that women are just supposed to be available for that to occur. Yeah. And like, I have worked with some women and not necessarily just in Christian cultures. Cause I see this happening in a lot of other religious cultures as well, where I'll have a woman come in and she's seeing me for pelvic pain. And I'll ask her, when was the last time you attempted sex? And she was like, well, yesterday. And I was like, okay. Um, how frequently do you guys typically attempt sex? She's like, well, it's usually like three times a day. And I'm like, you're in eight out of 10 pelvic pain
1: Mm -hmm. and you're being
2: subjected to intercourse three times a day. And I can't sit here and be like, how in the world is your husband okay with this? You know? And I'm like, and I say like, have you told your partner that you're in pain? No, he doesn't even know. You just like grit your teeth and bear it because she doesn't believe back to the consent thing. Doesn't believe Mm -hmm. that she has the opportunity to say no. Doesn't believe that it's her role, that her role is to be available. Mm -hmm. And it just like, it just breaks your heart that it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that your culture is wrong. Your upbringing is wrong. That all of this stuff is wrong. Even though I don't personally agree with it. Mm -hmm. What I'm here to do is to help you not have pain when you're having sex three times a day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a crazy little
1: world we live in sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That's another one of those super damaging messages that pops up this idea that all men are, all they think about is sex all of the time, or then it kind of becomes the women's, you know, job, if you will, to keep them mm-hmm. from doing whatever thing. So they think that, you know, I have to I have to have sex with this person to keep them from watching porn or keep them from cheating, or it just creates so much pressure and so much obligation, which for most people, kind of going back to that come as you are book, you know, that's a break. For most people that's a break. So We're automatically not helping ourselves with some of those thoughts.
0: Right. I feel like it also gives them like a, sorry, I feel like it also gives them a, it does them a disservice because that can often be the program that they have to connect, to create that intimacy. It's like, I'm looking to connect with my partner. So I'm going to reach out in a physical, sexual manner and Mm -hmm. I'm bypassing the emotional things because that's what I've been told I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Right? And like taking that passion and that pleasure and that connection and intimacy out of the picture.
1: Yeah.
0: Because they think that they are fulfilling the role that they were given as well by being the provider of the penis that does the penetration. Yeah. If you will.
1: Which really takes intimacy out of it. Like that's not genuine intimacy. That's that's you know at best taking from someone else then at worst maybe coercion or manipulation something terrible right like that's not genuine intimacy and being known and knowing and yeah that really comes from like the freedom to to have that choice and and say yes or no to whatever that is
0: right absolutely yeah.
1: so when you're working with your patients your
2: clients where do you guys, like, where do you start? Is it like an understanding of what the messaging was intended for and how it got changed over the years? Is it learning how to use their own voice or set boundaries? Like, how does that process work?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are good questions. Uh, all of the above kind of depends, like, what someone's coming in with. I think it's really important to kind of define terms because even though I grew up in parody culture and that was my personal growing up experience it really is different church to church, denomination to denomination, Um, even geographically, like where people are located and kind of the cultural value of church in that area. So really kind of getting on the same page of like, what did this look like for you? Because I maybe would use some terms that they don't use. So kind of getting on the same page with some terms. Um, You know, I think also a large number of clients that I work with, need some amount of education of like, you know, actual medical terms for their body. Like we don't have to use euphemisms. We can call them what they are. These are just words. So, and sometimes there's confusion, right? Like, is it a vulva or a vagina? (laughs) We have to clarify that because if I'm telling you, you know, hey, try this, you know, if you're, if you're doing that in the wrong area, that's probably not helpful to you. (laughs) And I'm not trying to create more pain. We're trying to get you out of pain, so um, getting on the same tr- page of language, making sure people have a proper understanding of, you know, anatomy, um, that's a big part of it too. I think also understanding where people currently at with their spiritual lives or beliefs. Like, did you grow up in this and you still identify with this, or did you grow up with this and you? don't really identify as much anymore. Do people in your life know that? Or would that be shameful? So there's really so much, especially because it, this is so existential as well to kind of just understand where are people coming from um, and what's the impact on this. Um, I recommend a lot of books to people to kind of start helping with some of that process. And um, we, we kind of, you know, as needed work on things like setting boundaries or talking about what actually is consent and How is that biblical, actually? So we take a look at that. So, um, gosh, yeah, it just really depends like what people are coming in with and what their end goal is too. It's not my job, kind of like you said, it's not my job to change people's belief systems. It's not my role. But because I do have some of this um, knowledge of the theology and, and some of the interpretations and things like that, we can take a look and see if that fits for them or if there's a way that, you know, they can better have some of their spiritual beliefs and experiences line up with their actual lived experiences, make that maybe not clash as much anymore. Do
2: you find that partners want to be involved in therapy as well? Like you find it's kind of like a team effort where they're like, you know, we both need to come to the table and make this happen. Or is it kind of like the burdens on the woman to fix it?
1: Uh, sometimes. Yeah, that's more often the case. Um, I don't love that. <laughs> you know, I try, if people are willing and their partners are willing, I try to bring them into that process. And I think that for men in some ways that might actually be more difficult than for women and in some ways, because gosh, like they really have to humble themselves <laughs> to be like, oh my gosh, like I have been treating you like an object I have been hurting my spouse. I have been pushing sex with my partner when they've been in pain. Like that's, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. Like that's yes. shitty to admit. That's so painful to like, to say that you've like fucked up in that way. Like that is huge to be able to admit. And that takes like a level of humility to be able to say, I've so deeply wronged this person that I am here to love. So I think like, You know, ideally, we want to work with both partners that's going to be most effective and most helpful because both people are impacted and just in different ways. And it's not just the woman's problem or fault. So sometimes when I just have, you know, one female partner, um, that can be really hard to break that message that, like, it's not their fault or problem because their partner's not here to help with some of that. Right.
2: So sharing a brief story, and I've shared this before, and, and my husband has given consent for me to share this story. But I had, after our first child, like a four-year history of chronic pelvic pain during that mm-hmm. time. And instead of going and getting treated, I went to a bunch of coursework on pelvic pain and treated myself. And so he was aware that it was happening and stuff like that. But at the same time, our, our physical relationship was a certain way. Mm-hmm. Then I had my first child. And then it was very different after that. So for him, it was kind of like, oh, what the heck? Like this is not how it's always been. And mm-hmm. while he was understanding that I was in pain and he did not want to hurt me, I was not open about how much pain I was in. Sure. And so there was that component as well. Over the years, he actually helped treat me. So I would go and learn techniques and then he, I would teach him how to do it and he would treat me because um, he's an athletic trainer. He has knowledge of anatomy, physiology, all that kind of stuff. And so Fast forwarding, the pelvic pain was gone, but that guarding mechanism of the fact Mm -hmm. that the pain had existed, and then me having that, all the guilt and shame of having to, you know, don't wear the nice clothes because you don't want to turn them down. Don't linger too long in that hug because you don't want to turn them down. Mm -hmm. Don't lay too close in the bed because you'll have to turn them down. Like all of that over and over and over again for four years, it like put so many hard breaks on my system And now by this point, we had two kiddos working full-time jobs. Now I have additional breaks, right? And so he's sitting here confused as to like, you're not in pain anymore. Why don't you want this? Do you Mm -hmm. not love me? Like what's going on? And so we worked really, really, really hard to get to a really great place now. And we read this companion book one time. There's one for the woman and one for the man. Mm -hmm. And as he was reading this book, he came to me one day. I don't even know how far into the book he was. He came to me one day and he was like, I am so sorry. And I'm like, for what? Right? And he is like, I had no idea that I had conditioned you for the last however many years that every time I touch you, it's going to lead to something more. Mm -hmm. He's like, I had no idea that that was the patterning I had done. And it totally makes sense as to why every time I would put my hand on your stomach, you would just roll away from me and say, not tonight. He's like, I wasn't even trying anything. I just wanted to be close to you, but you were already on guard because I had conditioned you so much. And he was like, so we ended up doing like a 30 days of like non-sexual intimacy kind of mm-hmm. challenge for ourselves. where it was like, we would be together physically with no, sex happening. And that helped kind of like condition my brain to understand that every time he touched me, didn't mean that he needed sex. And so like I said, we put a lot of work into this, but it was like this moment of realization where I was like, I mean, yeah, of course you conditioned me, you know, but Mm -hmm. I hadn't realized like that was the terminology there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just crazy. It's in like, Anyway, just wanted to share that it's like, yeah, having both partners come to the table, it's way more effective than you just sitting here on your own. Because I wasted a lot of years trying to solve the problem to fix it for us. And for those of us who are just listening, I'm putting these in big time air quotes. That was not (laughs) on him to do. And he was wanting to be an active role in this. But me being a stubborn mule that I am, I was not allowing that to happen. Um, And so... Yes. Having both partners available is, is the best option. Um, I know we have to get you out of here soon. So I have, (laughs) I have two last minute questions here. Okay. Number one, there, let's say somebody is listening to this today and they were like, you know what? I think I do want some help with this. You know, like they want to start that journey for themselves. They want to start healing. They want to start making some progress in that world. What is something that they could do today to start that journey for themselves.
1: Today, you can start taking a look at some of the messages that you learned about sex, especially if you grew up in a Christian culture or a church community. Um, There's a really great book that I recommend to a lot of clients. It's called The Great Sex Rescue. Have you read that? Mm -mm. No? Okay, it's so good. It specifically kind of goes through some of the, they did a whole bunch of research and found, like what are the damaging messages? So reading that book is a really good place to start and kind of piecing some of that together for yourself with your partner. That's one, one thing that's always kind of one of my go-tos.
0: Perfect. So that
2: actually answered my second question, which was going to be, what's oh. your favorite resource? Yeah. So it sounds like, it sounds like it's the great sex rescue. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's for sure one. Um, yes. And I love a lot of other books and resources as well. Come As You Are is another really awesome one, um, I recommend so many things like pelvic floor pt for lots of people when i personally left my first felt pelvic floor pt appointment i was like this is the most empowering medical appointment i've ever had in my life like this is amazing i just had happy tears <laughs> so yeah kinda, you know lots of different resources that i love recommending to people
2: i would say for anybody who's listening who is experiencing pelvic pain and has a background of purity culture Highly, highly, highly recommend you're working with a pelvic rehab specialist, whether they're PT or OT, and a mental health specialist who specializes in that world, because Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you you're going to make progress so much faster. Promise, promise, promise. So please Marry those two professions, um, and if you're working with either one of them, they very, very likely have resources in the other direction, and they've probably already recommended them, so please listen to the recommendation. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, Chelsea, I've hijacked so much of this. Please, (laughs) do you have any last questions for Erin before we let her go?
0: You're good. I know she has to go, so this has been wonderful, and thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. It's been very enlightening, and I love it.
1: Uh, Thanks again for having me. I've loved being here. I'm sorry that I have to do a session, but maybe we can keep talking about it more or something, but yeah, anytime, like, thank you for having me. We would love to have
2: you back. And we are absolutely so happy to let you go because you're serving our community and making it a better place. So absolutely. Number one priority is that, but we will have you back again and talk more in depth about some of this stuff. I think it'd be really fun.
1: Cool.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And we hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you everybody so much for listening today. It has been an absolutely delightful conversation with Erin. We hope that you are able to learn a little bit about what EMDR is as well as purity culture and how this might be affecting you and how you're seeing yourself in the relationship and how you're working with your partner in relationship. We highly, highly encourage you that if you are experiencing any holdbacks in your intimacy as a result of your background, please do get the help that might help you open up your eyes to this beautiful, wonderful world of intimacy that could be yours. If you're experiencing and pain as well please do contact a pelvic rehab specialist in your area um, and partner up with a mental health clinician as well to help you address these concerns and please please try and get your partner on board um, so that it can be a group effort because it's not just for you to own on your own we hope everybody has an absolutely amazing week and we hope that you continue to learn and grow so that we can continue to nourish the soul heal the body and expand the mind We love you all. Have a wonderful week.
0: Bye, friends.